I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. back aboard the Starship Texas for the 176th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and proud members of the Trexphere network. Tonight, we are talking about Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 10, A Moral Star Part 2. Like last week, it is written by the entire Prodigy writer's room and directed by Ben Hibben. And uh, Brian's cat is eager for us to start talking about it. That is actually my oh, cat this Dave's time. Cat. That's Moon Pie. Well, yeah, there, there, there is a there's a big cat moment in this episode. So the the cats that that follow Star Trek out there, you know, this is an Moon episode Pie, they should be excited about. That's right. Moon Pie is like get to the Cations. <laughs> I just realized there are no cats in my little mission control room here. That is a rarity. Where are they all? Uh, up all up doing? to no good, I'm sure. I guess that's, but that usually means interfering with the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> They've discovered whole new ways to interfere that uh, we don't want to know about. Yeah, yeah, they're they're busy getting ready to yank out the the, the internet. Um, anyway, quick record quickly so, <laughs> before they they come back and realize that I'm recording. All right. Well, I'm sure we're gonna have a lot to talk about because this was you know a big episode. It was structured, I guess, to be the mid season finale or the season finale if the show had broken season one and the two 10 episode seasons so you know they they kind of meant for this one to have a big impact i i'm sure both of y'all have a lot of thoughts on it uh before we get into the weeds on this episode though i did want to go over a little bit of news there was some larger star trek news uh specifically there was a a poster reveal for star trek strange new worlds we got the first poster for that i think we're going to get a teaser very soon sometime within this month or in March, but I'd, I'd plan on, you know, within the next five weeks, I'd be surprised if we don't have a full Star Trek Strange New Worlds teaser trailer out there. I'm sorry, a full-blown trailer out there. It is. Star- the poster makes me feel like someone's trying to horn in on our cowboy Star Trek verb. <laughs> yeah, we invented that. Star Trek hasn't had horses or anything like it until now, and so yeah, what's up well, with that? Or until, like, the very first Star Trek production in 1964 when uh, <laughs> when Pike had not one but two horses. Uh, yeah, but- no, it's a it's a super dope poster. That's It's very cool, and... Uh, throws a little uh, a little attitude, a little a little rural attitude at, at Trek in a, yeah. in a fun way. Yeah, I'm excited for my cowboy captain. <laughs> Are we comfortable with them recasting the horse? <laughs> yeah, I mean the original Tango 
Is it Tango or Mango? I was I, Tango. I think Tango. The original yeah. Tango. And then the other horse was named in the script was named like Mary Sue or no, probably not Mary, but like Annabelle or like some mm. some like first name, middle name combination like that. But it was never said on screen, but it's actually in the script. Uh, then a deleted line of dialogue. But um, so this could be either one of those horses, I suppose. So I, I wonder if in the show we'll see him, you know, riding horses out in New Mexico and Mojave or something. And you know, the poster kind of takes some liberties it has uh multiple moons in the sky that makes it look a little less earth-like but i think that might just be the uh, uh where, where did he grow up nature. New, New, New mexico fathery is that it mojave which we're supposed to assume is like uh they build a city out in the mojave in the desert. desert or something so so that means that almost certainly and, and yes yeah, so we almost have to see that in it's one of the early episodes if not the first one yeah we, we should see some cool state of uh, you know, uh, 20, 23rd, 23rd century. Yeah. 23rd, yeah. 23rd century earth, uh, you know, through cool modern effects and finally get our, get a, probably get to see Mojave. I, I'm looking forward to alien planets looking like Southern California again. I, I, I miss <laughs> that. I, that was a great thing in the nineties and now none of them look like that. So if all the planets uh, look like this, I'm, I'm down for it. Yeah. I don't think all the planets will because they're shooting it in Toronto, but, uh, so- <laughs> Some of them, some of them certainly will, and they have one of those big screen things now, so they can they can put Vasquez rocks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I see that uh, in the comments that uh, Cerulean Blue says uh, some folks are saying it's Talos Four. Is that? Uh, I is that does not look like how Talos Four looked in uh, the original series or in Discovery, so uh, I don't okay. think so. I mean, it could but... be Talos Four in Pike's head because they can we we. As we saw, you can make anything uh, Talos Four look like anything. Once the I wonder if I wonder if we'll messing with you. It's such a key, you know, as the really the only story he's associated with in TOS. I wonder if we'll get flashbacks and kind of have it as a uh, a recurring thematic. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but uh, I I think it'll come up a little bit in the show. I actually don't want them to lean into it too much. I, th- I think that's fair. You know, Discovery really did some nice work with it, yeah, and 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 did did a great follow up. So I I don't think it's necessary. I don't want every Captain Kirk story to be about you know Gary Mitchell. He's like he feels guilty <laughs> about you know his best friend turning into a god and, and having yeah. to be killed. Um, even though that was like the very first Captain Kirk story, I think it uh it needs to be well something that's I think. I think it's unlikely that that would happen because they're going to want this series to be particularly approachable, especially if it's more episodic, like they're saying. And so, yeah, they they don't want to worry about viewers having to be told, well, you'll understand this better if you go watch some (laughs) old stuff. So, But there's other Strange New Worlds news as well, and also uh, news about other Star Trek shows coming down, um, in addition to the five we have now, because we had the, the TCAs recently. Uh, which is where the uh, networks or like the studios or the content content makers and distributors uh, sit down and talk to the critic side of the press. Not like it's not like 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 a press release thing where they're trying to get news out to the public through the press, but it's like it's like more just a direct communication between the uh, people making the shows and then the critics. And there was a lot of talk there about Strange New Worlds. They actually showed a clip. Uh, We get to see part of Uhura's introduction to the show. I guess it's going to be like a little ceremonious and they're going to spotlight her character a little bit. 
Okay. If you're curious about like the description of those scenes, you can find that online. And also there was a lot of talk about the, you know, they, they were being careful not to be like too uh, formal about announcing anything, but it, it certainly sounds like they are getting ready to get finally give us that section 31 show. They've been, they've been teasing for that's been, you know, in pre-development for a long time since before the pandemic and also the Starfleet Academy show. So um, it sounds like those are going to be, you know, next in line. If, 2023 might very well be like the last year for Picard and also I think Discovery with you know fifth season maybe being the end of that show they're gonna have replacement shows oh we're thinking that Discovery won't run seven uh I don't it's really hard to do seven seasons these days Mm. the original plan when they were hiring all these actors to begin with when Brian Fuller was in charge was according to Doug Jones that was a five-year plan but he also says that was three showrunners ago so who knows now um. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited about uh, Starfleet Academy possibilities. Not uh, no, almost no innate big interest in Section Thirty One, other than to see how do they surprise me. Yeah, and based on what the the writers who were developing that show, Bowie Kim and Erica Lapolt, the things they said, they were all saying like things I wanted to hear. Like, oh yeah, we're gonna explain like why Section Thirty One is different on DS Nine than it is on. A discovery and we're going to you know still maintain like those star trek values and um, you know it's not going to be like your typical you know black ops show there's gonna be like a little bit more complicated stuff in it and it's going to be have uh more like that star trek nuance so um, one quick question father um and i know we, we don't want to spend too much time but do we know when canonically in the shows uh, uh, that that uh section 31 formed i'm sure the books have said but do we know in the shows Starfleet Charter. The Starfleet Charter has it, and it's like around back during Enterprise. It, it existed in some form on Earth in the 22nd century, um, okay. and possibly it might be around now. It might be around in, in 2022. I think it'd be neat if that show every once in a while had like a an episode that was like an episode standalone that would be a, a flashback to some previous era where we'd see some oh, kind of cool cool mission from TOS era or whatever. I don't know. I don't think we're going to get many standalone episodes and shows because the uh, the streaming platforms don't want that. They're telling they're telling these mm. creators they have they have to make everything serialized. So Strange New Worlds is kind of the uh, the anomaly. Let's see what Strange New Worlds does as far as maybe changing. Yeah, it might it might be the the trendsetter. Some some would even say it might write the course. Uh, so <laughs> I might. <laughs> All right, shall we move on? Is there anything else cool? Um, no, let's uh, talk about this episode. Let's talk about A Moral Star Part 2. I'm going to give a quick recap by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand on that with spoilers, and then I'll let uh, each of y'all kind of give your opening statement and talk about your broad takeaway on the episode. The uh, The official synopsis reads, The crew forego their dreams of Starfleet to return to Tars Lamora in a no-win's... Or wait, that's the one from last week, isn't it? I, I guess I have the wrong synopsis. Uh, I looked up a moral star part one instead of part two, but yeah, basically they, they're dealing with the fallout of last week. The uh, diviner has the proto star. They're trying to rescue the miners on the planet. Um, the diviner actually ends up revealing uh, a lot of backstory to Gwen explains, you know, what happened to their world and why he blames Starfleet and how he's weaponized the proto star against Starfleet. Um, but zero and Dal and um, the rest of the crew are able to defeat, the Diviner, they actually fry his brain with some Medusan imagery, and Gwen inconveniently forgets 
the uh, information she learned from Daddy Diviner, and they uh, they have the <laughs> miners free, and the protostar is able to finally go connect with Starfleet, which might be a very bad thing, and it's uh, an interesting cliffhanger. Brian, do you want to give the uh, the first opening statement and let us know your broad thoughts on on this episode, and then we'll get into the the nitty gritty details. I thought it was a solid, satisfying uh part two that wrapped up and and you know picked up and resolved all of the the little bits from part one quite nicely i thought i love the moment with rock uh, there, there's a moment rock talk gets uh with with pog that i thought was really sweet i i felt like everyone's so busy running around stopping things from exploding to kind of generalize that there wasn't a lot of chance for us to see any I don't know a lot, of, much in the way of insights to the characters. Everyone, everyone's, you know, everyone's action is just dict- dictated by how do I avert, uh, avert the disaster that's right in front of me for the large uh, to a large part. I wanted a little more about how do the people feel about all of this. How, how do the how do the liberated slaves feel uh, about being liberated? How do they feel about being abandoned by their liberators? How do they feel? Uh, how do the how do the kids feel about pulling off this big, complicated, incredibly dangerous mission? How do they feel about the fact that they, by choosing to do this crazy thing, they they near they 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 nearly screwed Gwen up a bunch? Um, and 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 you know, do they're all like, "Well, we're never doing that again. This is this is just way too dangerous." Or are they like, "Yeah, yeah, we got away with it. We can do this again. Look at us, we're cosmic badasses." What we get is Janeway talking about how she feels about the whole thing. I kind of feel like that she's the person I care least about as far as how she feels about all this. I kind of want to know what everyone else feels about it. So it's fun. It's enjoyable. But I I, I felt like I, I, I wanted to know how this impacted them. Um, more than I got, I felt, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, as far as it, an adventuresome ride that dots all the I's and crosses all the T's to re to, to, and, and makes sense, which a lot of times new Trek these days feels like it doesn't make as much sense as it used to. So I, I appreciate the fact that all of this made sense. So yay, that, that, should, <laughs> that shouldn't be a victory moment, but I, I like the prodigy mostly makes sense. Uh, it, it, uh, even, even if you're, you're approaching it with adult eyes. That's very fair. That's fair. But yeah. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Not my favorite episode of the se- of this season or half season or whatever, but I, I, I certainly thought it was a worthwhile outing and and did a good job of coming up with reasonably good ways to dump some exposition on us that were still exciting and tension inducing. Cool. Uh, Dave, what about you? A, a little echo of, of Brian in the sense that um, uh, sort of expectedly for me, the finale was a little disappointing. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rising action kind of uh, viewer. And uh, sometimes the endings feel a little perfunctory in there uh, and, and just like, you know, the action is, is lots of last minute escapes and things like that. Um, and, and a little bit, it's a little predictable. Even the big sort of reveals about um, the Diviner were kind of predictable. Although I can also watch that and somewhat cast my mind back to uh, to younger days and, and like think as like, oh, you know, if I saw this when I was a kid, I'd... I'd That'd be a pretty cool reveal um, because I probably wouldn't have been spending all the time that, say, we have trying to figure out, oh, what's the Diviner's deal? What can we glean from every sentence about it? <laughs> um, uh, so it was a little predictable, but I, I enjoyed the ride a lot. Um, I liked 
I like that they got to do a lot of very what I felt like were Star Trekky things, uh, like uh, Dal uh, being a sort of doing a self-sacrificing Kirk thing where he teleported over just him. Uh, I liked Rock Talk uh, finding her role and getting her first real big techno babble. <laughs> uh, I liked Jenkum Pog kicking some butt. Uh, and of course, I liked Zero's uh, unmasking. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, and, and, oh, and also, uh, the, of course, the, the biggest scene in it was the Cation prisoner uh, cutting loose. <laughs> that was that was some righteous payback. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I it's it, there was it's sort of generally satisfying to see the team using their teamwork and smarts to beat the their superior uh, sort of a superior force foe. And I also like that that there was mixed in with that an empathy for him, which is I think that's kind of a key Trek thing. I don't like when Trek is too much about like just serving up the bad guy, although he did get served up. I'll actually to the point where I'm like that this might be a cruel and unusual punishment at the end, <laughs> but we'll I feel like we'll talk about that more later. Uh, sure. Anyway, I, I uh, lightly disappointed, but still, but that was based on having really enjoyed the last two episodes uh, as my favorites of the season. And and so I actually am very ready for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I kind of think it worked better with this being a mid-season finale than I would if it had been the season finale and I would have a longer wait for more episodes. Knowing we're getting more in a few months actually makes me, like, much more satisfied with what we got here. Um, I got some of my questions answered, but not all of them. Uh, I, but I, I'm now kind of on the edge of my seat with the the new cliffhanger at the end. And, uh, you know, that's going to be so crazy. You know, what's going to happen when when the protostar makes contact with starfleet and now we know that starfleet is out looking for the protostar too and the way that they showed that at the end was cool uh but i i liked a lot of the thematic stuff real simple basic on the nose but yeah you know like workers getting the gift of communication and then you know workers unite and can can overthrow their oppression i thought that was really neat i thought Definitely. seeing everyone uh being really competent in their role as they're you know we're kind of bumbling through the earlier episodes but now you know you do see zero uh doing something cool with his with his medusa nature that he said like you know is kind of uncomfortable with uh we see uh dal being a, a more of him being a good leader you know we see uh rock talk really embracing her role as science officer uh so all of that was neat yeah i agree with you all like there wasn't like a ton of uh of surprises or uh or anything that would have been like too unpredictable well i guess i got kind of a surprise at the end even though last week i did say i thought there would be some form of official starfleet appearing here so uh i i, I didn't know it was going to be real janeway though and yeah. uh, especially i didn't think it was going to be that ship which there's a lot to say about that that ship um so yeah it was um uh, a satisfying conclusion and uh i'm i'm primed to see the the rest of the season because i think where they are now they, they can do uh, a lot more bolder stuff in the next 10 episodes than what they were able to get away with in the first 10 when they had to establish the characters and the ship and do a little world building and all of that. So I, th I think right now the like, I guess Dow's captain catchphrase, like go fast. Now, now they can really, you know, go fast or boldly go or whatever you want to say. Boldly go fast where no one has <laughs> gone fast before. <laughs> Engage. <laughs> I think we should just go ahead and get into the episode breakdown where we can discuss things in more detail, kind of go through the episode beat by beat. But let's start at the very beginning on all of the uh, the Tars Lamora stuff. And, uh, you know, we pick up where last week left off with 
the uh, the kids on, on Tars Lamor, except for Gwen's on the proto star with the the diviner. Um, but he finds the proto star. There, the proto core is missing, so he turns the ship around, goes back to Tars Lamor, and then on the don't make me turn this ship around. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what he does. <laughs> she made him turn it around. But but we're dealing with uh, Dal and Zero having to evacuate the prisoners, and then on the uh, Rev Twelve. Rock Talk and uh, Jankum Pog having to do some some high pressure engine repairs. Yeah, uh, I like that that part of the very beginning when Gwen like pulls her her heirloom. They keep calling it her heirloom, but whatever her little programmable matter sword that I guess she controls with mental power. Um, <laughs> she's had it like has it like right up to her dad's neck, and it's like that's pretty serious business. The show has some edge to it. For yeah, you know, I took notice of that stuff. too. That uh, like, you know, I, I am always thinking of like what to, uh, to, to some degree. What if I was watching this as a younger viewer would stand out for me? And a daughter holding a knife, blade, uh, sword, essentially to her father's throat—that's a pretty big one. And I do think they are calling it the uh, what was it? What was the, the term? heirloom? The heirloom. Yeah, I think that's more or less what what it is or what they call it. Then he can control it. So it's like to me, it made me think of like kids. That, I mean, I didn't have like a cell phone when I was a kid. But like now, like parents like give their kids phones, but they have like the real con- like they can use it to like see like where the kid is and like check their messages. Like they have like the real control over it. So it's like I'm gonna give you this thing, but I'm gonna like maintain control. I think there's a lot of like um like real. He life... activated the parental lock on it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like real life parallels you can see between like the diviner being kind of like a possessive controlling parent. Uh, his his kid is like literally an ex- extension of himself. You know, she was like made from his DNA. Uh, with so it's like uh he 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 kind of views her not as her own individual but as part of himself. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess by the way, he didn't really spend any time, or the show didn't spend any time with him wondering if the proto stars like uh, core could or proto core is that what they called it? Yeah, could still be hidden somewhere on the ship. I guess he was like they must have smuggled it off somehow. Yeah. I mean, he he, um, he knows that it had to be somewhere nearby because they used it to to come there. So yeah, it's not like they had options to like beam it off the ship or off. You think he figured out that it was in inside of uh, Zero, inside of Murph or whatever, or do you think he was like uh, entertained any other ideas? <laughs> like, uh, was it in was it in somebody's pocket? He probably knew that they were they were trying to repair the uh, the Rev Twelve with it because that's where he beams Dreadnought down to. That's true. Apparently, the kid's plan was that that uh that the diviner would take gwen yeah because uh which they make a big deal oh no don't take gwen that heartfelt goodbye was all play acting yes all lies but i mean they don't know their plan's gonna work so it is kind of like if if we don't pull this off this really is the last time we'll see you so there would definitely be some emotion to that so i guess their plan as written was just he'll take gwen when gwen gets a chance she'll switch off the shields and we'll beam up and then victory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a question mark in there and then there's profit. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe they had something more elaborate that just didn't happen because there was probably also some room for like, when you sabotage it or otherwise, you know, signal us to get on board or drop the shields or whatever. They, they may have been a little bit, uh, there's some room for improvisation in this Yeah, portion. we're going to have to wing this part, but hopefully we pull it right. off. 
and and lo, they were right. I uh, forgot how big of a deal that was in the first two episodes that the unwanted, the slave miners, don't have any type of of translator, and so they're all kind of unable to to communicate. And so then the first thing that happens when <laughs> when Dahl's flying around with his com badge with his universal translator is these two aliens, uh, Trodo and Gortslad, I think was his name. Gr- yeah, something Gortslad. like that. Yeah, it sounded like I don't know, like they're Germanic about to confess their feelings for yeah. each other. Yes. Like the, the, like those dudes are totally in love with each other. They're like they're like uh, holding their hand, holding each other's hands, and Dahl's like, I hate to like interrupt this this beautiful moment. So for like so long, we had like no gays allowed in Star Trek, and now it's like here we'll do it on the the Nickelodeon show in 2022. It's like how the yes. how the world has changed for the better. But but Dahl will still cock block them. So. <laughs> no, he he cock delayed them. He was like, "This is not. This is a this is a planetary evacuation. This is not the time nor the place." The, that puritanical Dahl Dahl, very sweet, very sweet moment though, and and, and funny too. It was. I was I good. like just the idea that that they are able to use language and and communications as this massive weapon. Yeah, yeah. Um, that they are able to weaponize the universal translator, basically, and that that by by getting all of these completely different aliens to be able to communicate, you get this full infinite diversity, infinite combinations, you know, group of yeah. of mad, bad, and angry, fed up, and not going to take it anymore, you know, aliens who are going to save the day. That was, that was, I, I really like the, the kind of ideological payoff of that. Yeah. That, yeah. Other than Darmok, it, it's, it's fairly rare that, you know, communications sort of take such a key role uh, prime role and and here yeah it was like uh, yeah they had phasers they uh, probably used transporters in this episode but like the tech that very much you know kind of turned the tide and allowed their plan to coalesce was communication was the based. universal translator and it's yeah, like cool. they used it against like Walmart doesn't want their employees to talk to each other about unions you know yeah. they, they they would they would make all their employees speak a different language if they could so uh, that's that's not, a, not that's just a great them point. but but every, virtually every employer. And, you know, although I did think this episode was predictable, there's an incidental element that was not predictable. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, a lesser writings team, including probably myself, uh, would have just had the goal being, oh, there's some sort of fancy inhibitor thingies on their little, uh, their, their manacles that prevent them from doing anything. And if we can find the right consoles and push the right button, all their manacles will fall off or the agonizers will switch off or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and then they'll, you know, they'll be able to fight then. And that's how I would have written it. But I, this is so much better that just, Oh yeah. Now that we can talk to each other, we can organize and kick ass. And And it it was like, when you see all the different aliens together, it has a very much like infinite diversity and infinite combination uh type vibe to it and i i appreciated that while they're doing something that's kind of thoughtful and meaningful they still you know gave us some of the the pulpy action that i always like when they are able to to inject some of that into star trek i think it's very much part of the the foundation of star trek and we have a little bit of phaser combat with dal uh shooting the watcher that shot zero what did disappoint me though is y'all remember before when zero was complaining about like his hand wasn't able to type fast enough his hand or and their hand right the, or, i'm sorry their hand um, but I thought, like, well, why don't you just build you a, a better suit with, like, better... And I was like, oh, here's the opportunity to do that. And then at the end of this, we see the exact same uh, Zero <laughs> uh, hand. Like, I just assume that they're using the, the decoy 
zero that they made for, for Merv temporarily. And then when we get into the second half of the season, they're going to have a, like an upgraded body. That would be very cool. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, a, a body built in the style of the protostar uh, herself, I think, would be a nice, you know, aesthetically pleasing look to 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 give to the new Zero body is all, you know, slick and futuristic. Yeah, and not stuff. some weird steampunk design. Some holographic eyebrows for emotion. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they could, uh, yeah, a little they could do something, eyebrow. um... Or a little sort of emoji-ish. Yeah, I was about to say uh, they got like a screen with emojis. Wasn't that in that movie Moon? Yeah, yeah. actually, I guess yeah, that would be such a overt throwback. I, I, I hope they don't do that. But if they there could are find no something... emojis. All the emojis get destroyed in World War Three. None of them last into the the Star Trek well, future. Well, then you know, good good job to uh, Khan and his genetically superior people. Cyril <laughs> and Blue, if I said that right, in our live audience. Uh, they said uh, cerulean, cerulean blue. Yeah, it's just a color. It's a variant of the color of blue. Okay, uh, you learned that in art school. Or in look at Crayolas, maybe. <laughs> Is that like one of the colors that uh, what's this Bob Ross that he paints with? <laughs> it might actually be. It might actually be. Nice. Anyway, what, what were you saying though, Father? Uh, cerulean blue says I want zero to have an upgrade too. Hell yeah. But yeah, the, the Cation kitty that they kept making a big deal about whenever they would show Tars Lamora previously, it's like that Hollywood writer's trope of like save the cat. Like when you have to have, you have your antagonist do something like save a, a save a cat from getting hit by a truck or something. And that's how you know they're like a really good, decent person. The audience gets behind them. Here, like our heroes literally save the cat. It's like the, yeah. the big <laughs> mid-season finale thing. So, but how often does the cat then decapitate the bad guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one they that was a, a twist they added. Well, let's let's get into the the engine room when uh, Jenkum Pog and Rock Talk are having to do the repairs, and I really yep. liked that. Yes, it is very on the nose and obvious, but okay, big rock person, big strong rock person, you hold the door. I'll try to fix this engine. And then she kind of does like the doctor and Star Trek first contact. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. She's like, I'm a science <laughs> officer, not a doorstop. Let me handle this. And they, is she a science officer or an, or an engineer? I, I think she's going to be the science officer. And he, he's the engineer. He, he's the gearhead, but here they needed like more like the, uh, the, the sci the, the brainy scientist person. I mean, to be fair, she is a hell of a doorstop. I mean, <laughs> yes, but J- Jenkum uh, is too. Jenkum got made... scrappy. No, well, no, I was gonna he, say, he did a good I job. Like, he, he, uh, like, if this was a video game, and by the way, those, uh, what do they call them, watchers? Yeah, the robots. They make, make good, pretty good mid-level foes, I think, in a video game. Um, but um, it was like his character unlocked upgrades, and he started doing combos and cool attacks with his uh, <laughs> robot hand. For sure. Uh, and I was like, oh, this guy, maybe he should be security with, with like, a minor in uh, in engineering. But uh, <laughs> he was whooping up. I, I joke that, like, Murph is going to be the security officer because he <laughs> accidentally fired the phasers of the, the first episode. When they were looking for the pew, pew, pew button. But, yeah, um, yeah I think I think Jenkum has carved out his territory as engineer. Rock Talk science officer. Gwen is communications. Zero is a navigator. Although Zero is kind of the science officer in in some some moments, but I think I think Rock Talk might take that on from now that she spent all that time learning all the science. It'd be weird to not. I mean, that seems like such a key thing that I can't imagine they wouldn't pursue it. 
but we get the Rev Twelve repaired. They they I guess they jump it off. They gave like a real techno babbly explanation, which I don't know if all of that. We don't know much about how the Rev Twelve works. So okay, whatever. But then as soon as soon as they get power, I guess that's what alerted Dreadnought and the Diviner as to where the the Proto Core is. You'd think like something with as much energy as like an entire star would be easy to find on your scanners. <laughs> I, not if it's in Murph. I think Murph obviously has to shield everything. Oh, yeah. Murph is made out of something it... incredible. Yeah, yeah. Murph might not be normal matter, like might actually just be buckled space time or something, oh. as opposed to actual matter. You know? <laughs> they said that it, he he is something that's been established in Star Trek before, but they don't think any of us will guess it. But they want us. I, to I'm going to guess it. I'm going to guess it. Okay. Uh, is am I? Is it possible? Or uh, did they call the thing the Doomsday Machine is made of deuterium? Uh, neutronium. 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 I'm going to say uh, Murph is some sort of shed, like, skin cell of it, um, <laughs> and it, it is, is is a sort of amorphous a neutronium. Oh, I think That's he might be um, what, connected to one of the more, like, godlike alien beings we've seen in Star Trek. Uh, maybe I've heard the caretakers suggested, like the, uh, the, the Nassim. That's true. But Murph does try to eat everything, like the Doomsday Machine. What if Murph is a baby Doomsday Machine? <laughs> oh, that's kind of scary, because he'll grow up into such a I'm monstrosity. About it. I'm about it. <laughs> Just eventually Murph will be eating planets, yeah. No, well, but, but like, if that's like, if they, if they start out something like that, and then only through, like, being shaped and genetically altered over time, and skin formed into, like, that super hard shell... Uh, does it, uh, does it achieve that? Um, uh, but yeah, like, uh, Murph might look at those, like, giant doomsday machines as, like, enslaved and, uh, horribly, uh, you know, def <laughs> uh, mutilated versions of, uh, itself. So oh, that, you could write a heck of a story about like the doomsday fleet invading and Murph trying to save them from whatever wet or counter response Starfleet comes up with. And the more we talk about it, the more I I'm on board it. If it's anything but that, I riot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, now anything else is going to be a disappointment. Um, question: How many miners were injured or killed when they just switched the gravity back on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they're all wearing some like pretty tough armor, so maybe it has like some like um, gel padding in there that'll like uh, make you like survive impacts or something. I don't know. Well, there's also all these huge things floating too that could land on top. We see some guy and stuff lands all around him, but I was like, none yeah, of them were they... murdered, Brian. They just got some bumps and bruises. <laughs> <laughs> we never get a good idea of how many there are exactly. Like we see a lot of them run into this engine room. But I think we're meant to think that there's more than that. And then when they're on the ship later at the end, we get like a look at like two different rooms on on the Rev 12, but we never see all of them together. Uh, so I don't know. I, I assume that there's like 80 or so people, like dozens, but not hundreds. In the first couple of episodes, I thought it was more than that. But after this episode, I think it's yeah, like less than 100. Sounds right. Yeah. The only one that's really important is the the Cation Kitty who gives the death blow to poor sweet <laughs> Dreadnought. This I can't believe they would do this to like the the lovable Dreadnought character. I uh, I laughed out loud with kind of giddiness at that scene. Uh, it was such a payoff for the Cation. I didn't necessarily really <laughs> expect it. Either. Really, the show was kind of 
using uh, <laughs> that cat for some for some cute uh, value. But uh, <laughs> I was I was delighted by the. Uh, cat going on the offensive yes, the kitten has claws in our in our live audience uh jill who today is going by the username texas and sex in my brain says that <laughs> no unwanted were harmed in this production so there, there you go that answers that so question none of them got squished okay nope. good tell, tell it to uh tell it to the diviner at the end the soul unwanted i do think that this episode will not be the last we see of the diviner or dreadnought uh, I think he'd be very easy to resurrect after this. He he can transmit his brain, his coding, and three D print himself somewhere. Else. He's yeah. he's a streamable bad guy. He can stream himself. It is interesting to how locations. the the tech the technology of three D printing, uh, although arguably that you know this is kind of like what replicators have been doing in in, in a way, but like the sort of the the visuals and stuff have been uh, brought to light in Discovery and and now this uh, that. Uh, uh, just, just that that very new piece of tech is for sure getting its Star Trek variant. Yeah, I had myself wondering: is is Dreadnought going to get three D printed from again from some files, or are they going to take the bits and bobs and rebuild them, or is he actually dead and we're never going to see him in the show, or is he off in Australia ri- ri- riding with a motorcycle gang? Um, <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I I wasn't sure where where do you think we we, we all seem to think we're going to see more of Dreadnought. He's not we're not they're not done with him. Yeah, I don't I don't have any any specific speculation on how or, or why or when or or where, but I okay. think he I think he will be returning. Okay, because I mean, normally in a film, if you have the head land separate from the body, that's a pretty emphatic. This guy's done, <laughs> you know. Right. But he's a but robot. If that, if so that none head of is a, ru- it, yeah. So if it's a Terminator, then that means will return. Uh, what I would like to see, <laughs> since we've seen him three D print already, that we do need some variant, and uh, like I think that we need to find out, like a Borg probe uh, pulls him in and uh, for analysis captures his. Uh, coding as it's drifting through the stratosphere or whatever, and they print him and Borg mod him, and uh, next time we see him, he's Borg modded. He gets an upgrade. Yeah, but he was just a he was just a I guess more or less a decoy or maybe like some scout reconnaissance because as soon as the diviner locates the protocore, he beams it I guess out of Murph, which seems kind of dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but he beams it out of Murph and then uh, is able to take off in the Proto Star. So they're having to pursue. They're like the tables have turned. Now they're the ones in the Rev Twelve chasing after the the Proto Star. That was a little weird, but but I, I I I that's another one of those incidents that was a little unexpected and kind of fun. I, I loved when uh, Dal was like, "I can't believe I'm saying this, but target the Proto Star." Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I don't know what like the pods that all of the miners strap themselves into at first, I thought they were like getting into escape pods, but then like they never escape. They just go and like chill in there. I guess that was just like for, for safety. But like, why does the diviner have all like these, uh, like safety little panic room pods on his ship? He's not a monster father. He, <laughs> he cared I about assume, his own yeah. people. He, yeah. he, he literally calls are. them the unwanted. Dave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the definition of not caring about them. <laughs> Last last week he said they deserve to die on that asteroid. Yeah, I mean even Amazon cares for its people more than this. <laughs> yeah, he's he's when worse than Bezos. His, his slave mining colony that was that was he wasn't so jaded yet at the time, and he had some oh. safety protocols. I mean, he, and he, then he became jaded and. 
I, I do <laughs> believe he might have he might have become more of a more of a jerk over time, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know what those are there for either. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I see uh, Boatwreck says the episode was better than most full season finales. Uh, I have to admit, it didn't, like, like in the, at least for Star Trek, uh, as, as I have found that Picard and, and Disco were, have tended to leave sort of a sour taste in my mouth, being just, like, just finding it didn't quite, this one didn't quite have enough to, you know, uh, surprise me as much as I might have preferred. It didn't wow you. It didn't wow me, but that's like... He's not wrong. Like I, I would. If, I, I think I liked it more than the Picard finale, uh, and it, half the disco finales, at least maybe uh, even all of them. Yeah, I, don't know. I wouldn't go that far, but I can think of a few two two parter TNGs where I like this better than their second their second part of whatever two parter you're pointing at. Not all of them, but some of them. All the friction between Dreadnought and Gwen never gets paid off, so we have to bring Dreadnought back so that Gwen can be the one to destroy him. Um, because that 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 whole you will do, you're a, you're a flaw, you're a mistake, your father shouldn't have created. It does you. seem like that they were building to, to something. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's got to get paid off. Speaking <laughs> of like comparing this to Discovery and Picard, and and we we like Discovery and Picard. I'm looking forward to you know watching. Those uh, shows uh, later in the year, Discovery next week, that's cool. But those shows do sometimes feel like they're not as structured as we would like. And writers have even admitted to having to completely change course or just pivot into new directions. Prodigy feels like they're they're really good at like setting stuff up. And uh, Aaron Waukee, the writer producer, has even said this. And uh, there's a really cool interview with him at trekmovie.com right now. I recommend people check out. But he says, you know, we know that we get 40 episodes, so we are able to plan and structure that n- entire 40 episode run. And uh, so it's like, oh, that's like an advantage the other Trek shows don't have, where they plan it all out, you know, at day day one and. So I, th- I think they're they're probably certainly going to have some big payoff with the Gwyn and Dreadnought friction. Yeah, that'd be that for sure. Be be nice to see them start to fold that stuff in. The second half of the first season will will tell us a lot about like their ability to build upon what they've what they've established. So and that and and you know right now I feel like uh, they're they're showing some good signs, but but that'll be. That'll be very revelatory. There there was one reveal that surprised me. Not so much as surprised me, but it, it answered a question I was unsure of, I guess. And that is the uh, evil Janeway or goth Janeway. Uh, when when she reveals like, oh, yeah, I was actually like good Janeway all along. And Gwen was like, yeah, I like put some uh, I installed some antivirus software to, <laughs> to stop you from from hacking our Janeway. And we get the the Janeway versus Diviner fight. Yeah, yeah. This is this this holog this hologram has been programmed to kill the the safety safeguard holodeck safety pro- protocols have been disabled. And She's Janeway just programmed will... to 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 hurt badly. She he, no, he no, didn't instantly die. Absol- he just will absolutely gr- cut a bitch. <laughs> he, he just became a pathetic, gurgling, sad, sad thing close to dying. It is a little odd for Star Trek not to explain like um why did he need like this liquid to like we saw he was like in bad health and then when Dreadnought made Gwyn out of his DNA, he was like chilling in the the tank of liquid, which is very Star Warsy. It's very uh Bacta Bacta, what's it called? In Star Bacta, Wars. Yeah. But it's uh like the the healing liquid Luke is in in, in Empire. But um, yeah, then he has like when he's able to, you know, go mobile, he still has like this armor that has it uh, pumping through in tubes. They never explain what that is, though. So 
I mean, I most kids know that if you cut a uh, if some person starts leaking all their fluids all over the floor, they're not in good shape. So I mean, it's symbolic blood. It's I'm PG surprised they blood. didn't say a, a little bit more about it at some point. But yeah, that might have actually made it seem like when it eventually gets yanked, might have made it sound too too horrific. Like <laughs> if he had already said, you know, this is this is the only nutrient that can keep my heart alive or whatever. Um, and then Janeway pulls it out. You're like, oh, Jesus. And it's still kind of shocking, but maybe not as shocking as if we kind of knew what it medically did. Or it might be like um, the uh, the Batman villain Bane and his venom. Yeah. It's just something that like, makes him strong, but he doesn't he actually need juiced. it to live. Oh, yeah, he's on, he's on roids. <laughs> we know he can jump high, and he's, he's pretty strong. He throws people around. Uh, but he he stops Gwen. He stops Janeway. He gets Gwen to uh, to freeze the Janeway program because he's like, wait, I will finally tell you and the audience the truth <laughs> of our people of our home world. And, and we get the holodeck exposition dump and learn the secrets of of Solomon and why he hates the Federation. And this was the one place where I was like, I I guess Gwen could be that stupid. Um, she's a kid. She's under a lot of stress. Her, her it, 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 she's had all sorts of issues tied up in this scene. But the like, you can switch off the shields and bring your friends up, and then talk to the diviner about what his plan was. You can. It's not like you're going to kill the diviner. You yep. can. That, still that's what have they were waiting cover. on. That's that's what they <laughs> yeah. they're like. Gwen, why don't you have those shields down yet? You know how like there's. There's often that thing in things where, you know, in, in, in genre fiction where somebody's like, this is my fight or whatever. And you're like, well, that's really a terrible idea. You know, why go mano a mano when you've effectively won or something like that? But it, it is because I think those scenes are all about the emotional stakes and she needs to emotionally confront her father and find she out. She wants to have about. that conversation. She doesn't want other people to come and, over and interrupt it. She doesn't want Janeway to interrupt it. Right. They, they might they may just like lock him up and like she needs I think yeah, she needs or he'll to start know fighting them. them and he'll be, you know, I, uh, oh, instead of having this conversation with my daughter, I'm going to go kill her friends. You know, like she doesn't want that. It is a sort of like heightened reality, though. Like I have to recognize that. Yes, I think most people wouldn't be so foolish, but I don't to me. It won't. I won't think of her action mm. as foolish. I'll think of it as dramatic. I guess I actually, I actually accept it as pretty realistic in the, in the heat of the moment. People do stuff like this. That's why I said I, I think I can accept that she was that stupid. It was still a stupid thing. It's not like he was in the airlock and her only choice was to blow him into space. And he's like, no, don't kill me. I can tell you the secret. She's like, oh, if I kill him, I don't get the secret. All right. No, 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 no. I can beat my friends up and then you can tell me your secret. You know, so. What did y'all think of uh, Solemn when we when we saw what it looked like pre first contact with Federation? And then well, it's, it's very pretty looking. But apparently, just just to hear his description of kind of what it sounded like are kind of like conservative hardliners who didn't want any out, out maybe xenophobes yeah, didn't want any totally. contact with the Federation. Uh, I'm like, well, it's very pretty looking, but is that built on the backs of? Uh, but not everyone was that like the that. Not everyone. In, I mean, he did say like, you know, we were confident in our supremacy, and then yeah. you know, we thought we were alone in the universe, and then we met the Federation. But um, it, you know, apparently they had a civil war, so not everyone was like that. Uh, we know what yeah. which side he was on. It actually is still a little startling to think that the Federation could, uh, you know, inadvertently start a civil war. Like it, it, it makes actually a lot of sense. But that's actually a very dark idea. It's subversive. Yeah. It's normally like first contact, like the way that it's supposed to be with Earth. 
is that like Earth makes first contact with the Vulcans and, and we're all like so humbled by it. And we're like, oh, we should all like unite together and strive to be a better people and take our place among these other civilizations out in the stars. I think what happened with the with Solemn is actually more realistic to what would happen to 21st century Earth. Is that like, no, oh, we would yeah. actually like tear ourselves apart over this. Well, yeah. yeah, it depends on what kind of first contact. If it's if it's a threat, then it'll probably bring the planet together to fight the threat. But if if the Federation shows up and says, "Hey, dude, if your whole planet, you know, can unify itself, you can join on unlim- have unlimited space socialism if you join us." You like socialism, right? Look, nobody starves, everyone gets food. It's 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 awesome. Come join our unlimited space socialism, and then like. Half the people are like, oh, no, socialism is evil. And the other half is like, I'm tired of being hungry. And uh, and and yeah, they tear themselves apart. So paradoxically, if the Federation had just threatened them, it probably would have been they, they would have been continued to be dysfunctional, but they wouldn't have destroyed themselves in a war. They would have been busy prepare, preparing a war fleet to fight the Federation. It is funny, though, that um, <laughs> like what he was his actions are, are like the are the what would typically or very often is the the good guy actions of like uh, in trek at least it's been of they're trying to go back and he's trying to prevent something that damaged you know destroyed his planet he's basically right. it's the star trek 4 plot i mean arguably terminators go back in time bad people go back in time to alter events too but in trek there's for sure this tradition of heroes going back to to stop some bad incident from happening and at least in when he he of course is the hero of his own story and so he uh that's how he would view it he yeah. he is the kirk to his story yeah that, that that thing of you know all all true villains think of themselves as the hero of their own story in our live audience it's a small world one says i didn't get his plan to stop first contact the plan um we can we can talk about the the plan in in detail but uh basically what happened is the whole civil war was, uh, you know, according to him, started because of first contact with the Federation. So he went back in time to before first contact. The the time that they're in now, which is actually 2384, if you look at the star date, it's early. It's like this time of year. It's like early February. Um, but he he says that, you know, Solomon is still, you know, alive and well right now. So we haven't made first contact with the with Starfleet yet. But when we do, it'll it'll make us have like this big, terrible civil war. Fifty years later, we're all extinct. So I came back in time to to stop that from happening. I have this ship, the Protostar, that uh, you know we've seen in those holographic flashbacks that was stolen from Captain Chakotay, and he has reprogrammed it so that now when it comes in contact with other Starfleet ships, I guess it transmits a computer virus or does something to turn the ships against each other. It's the prefix codes, I guess, you know, Rathacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Dave is a big fan of the prefix codes. Oh, so. yeah, that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> All Dave cares about is uh, Cations, Doomsday Machines, and prefix codes. Tellerites. Tellerites. <laughs> oh, Tellerites, yeah, he likes Tellerites. <laughs> that's, I feel that's pretty deep. Four things. Four full things. Yeah, that's good. That's you know one more than a trinity, so you're you're doing good. That's uh, better than a I'm, I'm popular religion, a, I, I guess. I contain multitudes. Yeah. I, first, I was wondering. I was, I was wondering exactly what was it about the Federation. I realized I don't think it's xenophobia. I don't think like Gwen wasn't raised. It doesn't seem to have been raised to be this rampant 
species. Well, he is. he says things like we were confident in our supremacy, and then later when when Dahl comes over and he's like, "How could you side with the inferior over your own race?" Like that, that's stuff a Nazi would say. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It seems like where did Gwen get her not racist attitudes though? If if she was raised by this guy and. Uh, I don't. Um, I wonder how much raising he did. Well, the dreadnought. I mean, dreadnought is probably not going to be like. Uh, yeah, actually, most aliens are about equal in intelligence, and <laughs> the fact that she's like used as like the translator that he had her learn all these different languages, it probably exposed her to a lot of different cultures, and and she might have absorbed some some tolerance through that. I hate the Federation. Here, read all these books about the Federation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, accidentally set her up for new ideas. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. Thinking that he's like, I will give her this small role that will, you know, bind her loyalty to me, and then, oops. Yeah. I did think it was interesting that the thing that destroys his planet is the threat of a more perfect ideology. And, you know, for a kid's cartoon, that's pretty ambiguous head in the sky stuff it's not oh the star was gonna go nova or they ran out of oil or something you know you could the kid can physically wrap their heads or no no it's it's a political ideology like, yeah yeah the Feder federation yeah. socialism probably possibly or or in lack of racism and we've seen other villains that are you know like super like anti-federation with uh, crawl in Star Trek Beyond, and then with Takuvma in Discovery Season One, where his whole thing was like, "We don't want to be assimilated into their into their culture, into their like union of all these different alien races. We want to be strong on our own." Getting rid of the Federation is not going to stop somebody from making first contact on your planet. So it feels like this is a plan that is designed specifically because the Federation is the problem, not just aliens with warp drive that 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 again it's more about something more about the federation's ideology was threatening rather than just the idea that there were aliens was too much for them to mm. handle it was the idea that the federation was like join us and half the planet said yes and the other half the planet said oh god no well he might have been thinking like uh, yeah other less powerful uh, organizations than the federation they those could potentially be annexed and usurped and overthrown uh, but he's like, the Federation has some real power, and that that's a threat to us. The others we could slowly take over and, you know, show our show our supremacy off. Well, what do y'all think about the techno-babbly thing here? But I like that they took the time. This is what I'm always talking about when I, I get frustrated with some shows, or it's like, I wish they would just take the 12 seconds of screen time to say this one line of dialogue. But here where they're like, oh, uh, we can kind of get through the shields because we're hitting the, the shield emitter, but we can only beam over one at a time. Okay. Perfect use of the t of the concepts. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's a it's a plot convenience, but you know it's one that's going going to add to the story. We get Dal beamed over, and I loved I loved the the Captain Kirk moment when when Rock Talk says you know what's your plan, and he says I'll let you know when I've got one, and he just beams mm -hmm. over with no plan, and I just love that that Starfleet attitude, like that cockiness of of same. You know, you but that's when you have to, to boldly go and just just believe yeah. that you can you can figure Father, it out. I'm, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the shield thing because you know, like we're always talking about that and like saying, oh, you know, it would only take 10 or 12 seconds. And this actually, they did it and it was freaking cool. You got to see them fire a phaser. You got the, the, the shield effect looked very neat and, and it created a neat dramatic tension in that, you know, it was kind of a neat idea of like, 
just enough very you know shields down to, for for a single beam over and like it, it actually cascaded into something all the things that it, it did work in the, that 12 seconds or whatever led to cool things and and uh of course dal's kirk moment are we okay with dal is apparently the leader of the group and as far as coming up with the big plans him and Gwen kind of seem to be the only ones who ever seem to be able to think big picture. Uh, and Gwen's already gone, and then Dahl beams over, and, and all our big picture people are gone now. And it's like, it's like okay, well, no, I mean... Zero, zero contributes to the big picture, too. So, and he's yeah, also the next yeah. one they beam over. Yeah, yeah. They, they're also <laughs> or the they, next they, one. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose there's sort of a once we're all over there, we'll come up with a plan kind these, of thing. These kids aren't sort of great at 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 meta planning. That that, you know, that is true, um, and also there's it is a show that's about kind of big dramatic acts. I and mean, so uh, I, I can't I can't really complain about it when so much of Star Trek was Kirk and Spock beaming somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, it is. Well, the, the very idea of the landing party that pretty much always includes the captain and the first officer. I mean, that is a baseline ridiculous <laughs> thing. <laughs> until, yeah. you get, until you get to TNG, where Picard stayed on the, the ship most of the time, and like right. Riker beamed and down. And often but... on Voyager, they would at least not send both Janeway and Chakotay. It was yeah. usually one or the other went down. I, I, uh, I, I guarantee you a lot of Strange New Worlds is going to be Anson Mount beaming down. I hope I hope so because it is it is a convention I'm generally happy they go with unless they call attention to it too much and like you know they're like oh gee captain you've you've been captured like five times in just the last you know month uh, that's probably not great <laughs> you know don't call attention to it yeah, and let people have fun you don't need with to see it. like let the, the admiral like actually review that and be like uh, yeah like you keep putting yourself in these <laughs> unnecessary danger like yeah. well the way to call attention to it would be because the captain's not on the bridge the whole ship gets really ruined and and lots of people die and everyone and it's very clear that oh if only pike had been here that wouldn't have happened um that's the way you would call and i agree they shouldn't call yeah. attention to it yeah because we, we want our cap you know we want to see michael burnham you know beam down and, and kick ass and yeah it, it is it is a trope that is broadly speaking i would say enjoyed by the fandom let's talk about the the ending we have the the big boss fight when dal beams down with uh two phasers he's, he's double fisting the phasers and step away old man she's with me he does not last very long at all because the diviner still has the the heirloom thing and it's kind of like it's kind of like spider-man or venom just like like shooting that material on you and and webbing you up in it again just stun him don't sit there pointing guns at him just open fire <laughs> Don't, don't uh, like, antagonize them. Don't, like, try to, like, get in, like, an argument with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing they always forget in Star Trek. I always say it. Like, if I had a phaser with a stun setting, I would I would be stunning people nonstop. I don't know if my personal life has a lot of people who need stunning, but that guy needed stunning. That never, as, as the uh, first lesson goes with a phaser, uh, never point your phaser at someone you're not ready to stun. Yeah. And fathery conveniently for you, that's everybody. We need, we need to get Doll subdued so that Medusa and Zero could have their big moment 
which is something when they first announced that this character that looked like a weird steampunk robot was a medusin i was like they need to have a moment where they they open up their little robot body and like show themselves to someone and 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 drives them mad and it does the is there in truth no beauty thing we we find out they're they are literally called medusins because of their pretty face and uh yeah it's it's kind of uh striking like an interesting weaponization of, their, of themselves. They did such a good job setting this up with the uh, last episode where they had one moment where Zero was saying he, they were reluctant to go back to Tars Lamora because they're scared the Diviner will capture them and use them as a weapon again. So it reminded us of that aspect of, of Zero and, and kind of their... Uh, conflict with the diviner and why they have a problem with the diviner and then jankum pog's joke about uh you're speaking of melting your face off and uh that at the at the end of the episode last week also reminding us so uh if you're unfamiliar with the original series that it was there to you know reinforce that notion that this is what a medusin can do and then the presentation of it was just you know they needed to do something kind of big and uh epic like this and it, it it worked I, I, I was into it. Yeah, that thing went off like a little nuke. Um, oh, I see uh, Starfleet uh, Starfleet Boy in our comments says, Love this scene so much. Love the performance by the voice actor for Zero. So moving, so much pain and anger. Yeah, that was cool to see, you know, a, 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 you know, a character who of the command types, you know, uh, is, is usually, you know, the, the tertiary one. Uh, Gwen and Dal usually kind of command things a little bit more. Yeah, I think Zero might be the McCoy. Zero might be like the third most important character <laughs> yeah. on the yeah. show. I had said that we don't get to see how people feel. We get to see how Zero feels. I, 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 I need to be. I, I was, I was. That is, you absolutely know how Zero feels in that moment. There's, there's no. Well, Zero's just doing whatever it takes to save the day. No, we're, we get to hear that and and see that. Um, we also see why in live action Star Trek, all the com badges are brushed aluminum and brushed gold so that they don't reflect not only the bright stage lights uh, hanging from the ceiling, but also evil Medusan energies yeah. that could drive. You don't want to see those non-corporeal Medusan energies. <laughs> so let's 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 make sure we brand a eight billion uh, Starfleet com badges just in case people bump into Medusans. But that, yeah, that ties yeah. into the the origin of the Medusan name with Medusa in in Greek mythology. Was that like Perseus had yeah. had to look into the reflection on his shield to fight? Medusa. Yeah, yeah. In the original myth, mirrors are safe. Yeah, that's right. Mirrors so, are safe. So, but not that's not how myth. the real life side. So maybe Gwen was like, "Oh, I'll be okay." I read this Greek myth. It's like, no, that's not, <laughs> not how it works. Yeah. Um, you know, to to rewind for just a second, there was another uh, another line in the episode that kind of stayed with me. I think it's I think this is when Gwen was talking to the diviner and he was talking about his prefix code takeover thing. Yeah. And she says, "You can't trade one tragedy for another." And I was like, oh, that's a that's a nice nice little idea there. Yeah, that, it's, it's you can another... apply that to a lot of things. Absolutely. But it's kind of like the two rights don't make a wrong, um, or an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. She also mm -hmm. says in that scene, she's like, we can't go, we can never go. Like she knows, like, oh, we we have to take the proto star away from Starfleet, or at least until we can figure this out. And then here, when you know she gets damaged from exposure to to zero. Uh, she, she keeps saying that, you know, we can't go, we can't go. And it's really like um, disturbing, especially mm -hmm. I was talking to someone who had watched this episode and, you know, reminded them of, of being around a family member who had uh, some some mental illness issues. And mm. it's 
kind of yeah. disturbed them seeing the, these characters go through that. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that is it is pretty heavy. And, and Doll's reaction where he's crying. Yeah, no, that's I think that's a great point. This is what uh, happens there's... if you get flashed by a Medusan. He basically, you know, took off his clothes and showed everyone what he looked like. Or they, they, they showed everyone what they looked like, so. Like a 1970s streaker. <laughs> um, pretty much. <laughs> Definitely some flashes. In, in our live audience, uh, Geek Filter, our friend Geek Filter, uh, Aaron Harvey, says, Also, com badges are way more durable than what they showed. It shouldn't have broke just by uh, stepping on it. Voyager com badges broke that easily. In the show, there's one where they smash one with a rock and it just breaks like it's porcelain. Yeah, the the diviner is really heavy. He's got like heavy armor. Makes him, I guess. I'd assume they would be more technology. durable, but yeah, I can't think of too many. I, I guess in in canon examples of people trying to smush them. Yeah, there aren't too many, but I know there's one where they. I'm pretty sure it was Voyager. It might have been DS9 that they get their com badges taken away and the person sets it on the floor and hits it with a rock and the rock comes up and there's just little pieces all over. And the rock was like about that big. It wasn't like... Wasn't In the future, like they need to make them out of Murph. <laughs> they would all walk around like this big glowing loogie on their shirts. <laughs> yeah, this is a big ball of slime. But but speaking of com badges, we when we get that uh, that ending montage with Janeway's training officer's log, uh, we see that they leave the com badge with the Cation Kitty on the Rev Twelve. So those people still get uh, they get two things. One, they get to keep their translator. They get to stay connected through language. And also, if these people, I don't necessarily need to see them again, but I'd be okay if the show does revisit them. They have a way to contact the Protostar now. I was a little sad that uh, I, I I actually kind of liked the idea that some of these crew members might join up with them, uh, but I, I in general it does make sense to keep the core cast small and not have to start worrying about supporting characters at this point. And at the they, at the end they say we're going to go give the protostar back to Starfleet. So that's true. That's true. They're not it, like these. Now our voyages begin. Yeah, so they're not looking for a full crew. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I suppose one could argue, does anyone else want to go back to Starfleet? And everyone said no and stayed on the Rev-12. But that would, maybe that's a little weird. But... I hope they don't go back and find that those miners have uh, become the uh, they've become the aggressor. <laughs> they're they're like, the they're like pirates now. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you know, that slave asteroid is still functional. Do you know what I want with them? Because at first I was like, I don't really need to see what I mean. They get like a happy ending. They ride off on the sunset. Like, that's how old school Star Trek work. You didn't follow up with everyone. Uh, you know, you just went on to the next planet. But now I have an idea for them. They need to like because they're all like laborers. They're all skilled workers and they're all united. They need to have like their own uh, cooperative, like worker owned co-op. And they go around and they do mining jobs. Hey, that'd, be, that'd be based. very cool. Yeah. I, I like the idea of like kind of checking in on them like uh, in another season or so yeah. and just see what's up. Yeah, no, I, I was reasonably happy with the way they ended, uh, but they, they certainly could bring them back. Uh, certainly the kit, the little kit, uh, kitty Katishan or whatever uh, has has uh, has become a big hit among fans. And, yeah. And my wife. I'm sure that Cation now now has a taste for violence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Watch out, miners. <laughs> Maybe only against yeah. robots. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you know the kid kitten 
goes in there and just smashes computers with a baseball bat to work out all the trauma of her life. You know, they also need to invite the Proto Star back, the Proto Star crew back whenever we get the uh, the big wedding between those uh, those two dudes from the beginning yes. of the episode. Oh yeah, that oh. would be delightful. Proto and and uh, Gord's stat. Yes. Uh, what about the Diviner's fate? He's like in hell, basically. You know, he's like driven mad, and he's left in like the fiery part of Tarzan. Not since the weird ending of the Black Hole from Disney, <laughs> <laughs> yes, which also yes, evoked uh, hellish imagery. Totally, totally, <laughs> very uh, much. Like I, I actually did so. think, and you know, like I, I get conventions of you know, like superheroes imprisoning their foes and things like that, like extra legal. Oh, we things. got Phantom Zone. <laughs> Phantom or or Khan go into SETI Alpha 5, that these are kind of dramatic expediencies because we what do we want, like long court cases and, and stuff like that? Uh just just not super fun as a as a TV or as a dramatic thing. But I did think it's kind of messed up. This guy seems like he's barely coherent. He's half naked, and they just left him there. Yeah, I hope like, he has some of that blue liquid somewhere. Can can he <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess here's a question. If Gwen had gone crazy, would the Diviner have left her on the asteroid? I don't think he would have. I think think he would have uh, kept her thinking that he could eventually reprogram her. He's arrogant. Yeah, he he would still want her to be like that object that he sees as part of himself. So, so, so... The diviner would be more empathic. Or <laughs> no, he he wouldn't be doing it for empathic reasons. He or would be doing it to exert some empathetic reasons. Yeah, empathetic reasons than than Gwen <laughs> yeah. is because Gwen's like, yeah, fuck you, Dad. <laughs> but you know, he's he's probably like too dangerous to keep on the proto star with the kids. Like it might have been Janeway's recommendation to leave him behind. I think yeah. we will follow up on this. I doubt it's the last one. Actually. I mean, like, Gwen is It's gonna... worth noting, Gwen doesn't actually wake up and start walking around until all of these decisions are made. She doesn't yeah, they didn't actually... They didn't ask. It doesn't look like... It's not clear if they... If she even got but, a But now, now that this. Gwen has lost part of her memory, now that, now that she's going to be... There's a hole in your mind, to quote another franchise. She might be like, okay, well, there's this one guy who knows everything. He's kind of crazy, but I have this convenient ability to mentally link with him. Maybe we need to go back to Tars Lamora so I can mind meld with with my dad and yeah. uh, get some and may and like maybe that'll like stabilize his insanity and then you know they, they, there's still a lot they can do with him he's kind of like in a convenient place where we don't need to see him every episode anymore but he's there for them to go back to whenever the, the truth is that uh that. bad guys in genre fiction uh uh prison only exists for them to escape from ultimately <laughs> <laughs> uh, the revolving door at arkham asylum yeah, yeah, it's just like we we the viewers will it to happen because we want them to return to their evil shenanigans. I I apologize for going to this place mentally, but when they they do show Gwen unconscious in like the white medical uniform, it's like I was thinking like who changed her clothes? Like which one of these people changed her? Well, I guess <laughs> I, I'm gonna assume it was a hollow, hollow Janeway. Now that hollow Janeway's shown more tangibility. Uh, inter- I mean, they but... can beam clothes on and off. That's of true. That's a good Star point. Trek. Yeah, they can yeah. push a few buttons. That a thing? Uh, yeah, first contact when Captain Picard's like computer beam us down twenty first mid twenty first century clothing. Okay. So that we didn't have to do like a costume uh, I mean, change before they showed up. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dwell too long on this one. 
in Star Trek the Motion Picture, they beamed an outfit or replicated an outfit onto Ilea as well. Yeah. Man, you want to be careful within that Star Trek motion picture. That that outfit could have been beamed right into her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have to admit. What, what came back, Brian, didn't live long. <laughs> yeah, not not the safest transporter in the world. <laughs> and and Paisley with plaid. Uh. <laughs> oh, and, and our live audience, uh, Boatwreck, a.k.a. PJ, is saying, The animated series is a gift to the world. So many kids' shows didn't respect the intelligence of its young viewers. Like the animated series or Batman the animated series did. Yeah. Well and I think I think Prodigy seems to have some respect for its audience. It doesn't it doesn't dumb things down or, or spoon feed but, too much. You know, the more we've talked about the episode, in fact, the more I've liked this one. I I, I think uh some of the points about uh you know, the diviner's fears, uh, about his people and uh, some of the moments in it, uh I, I think, you know, had like a, a little more sophistication than I might have like even seen kind of on the surface, and so mm. I, I think they're on on track uh, to to keep pushing that uh, as they go. I don't know what that machine is that's on the side of Gwen's head now, but I hope it's something they're like temporarily like healing her. It might be like a permanent uh, you know modification thing she she has to use now. No, I, I bet it's I bet it's just for the scene. It, it looks like the kind of tech that. You know, uh, Doctor Crusher. It reminds it, it kind of it kind of gives more weight to what happened and like the the, yeah. the dreadful yeah. power of the Medusan. It, it reminded me of in the best of both worlds part two after Picard is like unassimilated and you see him in his ready room trying to go back to you know his normal captain life, but he's got like all like those weird bandages or whatever is like on like the side of his face covering up where the implants were. It's it's a visual cue that the character is still not fully recovered from what they just went through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. Voyager was, I mean, all Star Trek did this, but Voyager was like, loved it, was putting, attaching little things with blinky lights to the necks or temples of yeah. of, of people in sickbay. You you could not get out of sickbay. If they hadn't fixed the problem, then you were leaving with a blinky thing. <laughs> if, if the problem had not been solved, then you got a blinky thing before you were allowed out that door. I mean, that makes sense to me. If I left sick bay without one, I'd feel like, did they even care? Yes. <laughs> and and given that this show is sort of the spiritual sequel to Voyager, uh, the fact that they have a bl- that she gets a blinky thing, I was actually Feels like, oh, look, a blinky thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian, I, I, I actually got a lot of the uh, emotion that I was hoping to get from this episode. Just not so much like real introspective moments with each character about like how they feel about like their big victory, but just seeing them kind of um celebrating there at the end yeah i mean they're happy and they're happy to be together and i guess they're gonna go say goodbye to the ship and be marooned in the federation but they seem cool with that so yeah uh yeah like they seem like you know they're finally all on the same page they're like they've accepted you know the federation is actually uh pretty great sounding so let's go meet those people and live there and give them their ship back uh, but did they remind us of the uh the i what is it ironic suspense that was called when as the alfred hitchcock thing when the the audience knows there's a bomb under the table but the characters sitting around the table don't know i mean i think yeah. that was a definition he just used for suspense in general but but there, yeah. there he may have cause I've, I've heard that example but, yeah. but but it could have been ironic suspense i think but i think he just like that yeah, is how you do suspense. suspense if bomb just blows up that's just shock and not suspense yeah the um key point here is that the bomb is not armed. 
The Diviner said we need to arm this thing when he was in the holodeck. Oh, I didn't he catch never gets that. A chance. Yeah, yeah. He, I didn't catch it till the second viewing either. I was like, they, he never gets a chance to arm it as far as we can tell. He certainly talks to Gwen as if it has not yet been armed. Mm. Oh, uh, you know what? That'd be a nasty thing uh, for a vengeful Dreadnought to do. Yeah. That might be that might be how Dreadnought comes back into play, uh, but yeah. I like the uh, the reaction Gwyn gives when when Dell says let's set a course for Starfleet, which sounds weird. I would have said set a course for the Federation because I think of the Federation more as a place, not Starfleet. It's Dahl. He doesn't know these things. <laughs> yeah, but but it's also like Gwyn's it. reaction to that because uh, you know she's thinking like Starfleet is in like ships and stuff. And then when we we cut from that to the Starfleet ship picking up the signal. Of the Protostar, and now, oh, they're going towards Starfleet, and Starfleet's going towards them, so seems like they're probably going to meet sooner rather than later. I guess, if you're if you're at, in proto-warp drive, do you just go so fast you don't even see the other things, the things on the way there? And they're just going to go, boom! They're going to pass Janeway's each other? Gonna, yeah, Janeway's going to be finding the Diviner inside, it's like, like that in a meme. cave. There's, there's a meme <laughs> and like those two cars. Go, oh, uh, we, we should go make that. One of us should go make a that meme of like a... <laughs> The Protostar kids in one car and then Admiral Janeway in the other car and they pass each other. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I've seen this. I don't think I've seen the original meme. I'll have to uh, have to point that out. I think out it's from that, the show The Umbrella Academy, but I've never seen the show or read the comics, okay. so I don't know much about it. Yeah, no, that would be a good fit. Because, yeah, I kind of feel like Janeway's going to be out there looking at the uh, at the Diviner saying, Whoa, what happened to him? Oh, and yeah, they could the go Protostar? find the Diviner. And then what if, like, Dreadnought gets into their ship, and then Dreadnought is taking, like, this ship towards the Protostar? Oh, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff they could do. Are they in the Voyager? Is that is that the ship? No, no, they're in the Dodless, which I have a lot of a lot of things to say about that. Because I was thinking when they when they went to warp and the camera was panning over the back of it, I was like, that is the ugliest angle I've ever seen of the Voyager. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a different <laughs> ship. It's oh, not the Voyager. I, it's it is ugly. Voyager. It, it I can't is absolutely say ugly. <laughs> I can't say I'm real into but it. But it's actually it's a comb it's uh, it's weird. This is a combination of two existing ship designs that I'll talk about in the Gorneg section of the show in just a moment when I go over all the uh, the Easter eggs, continuity connections, and end jokes. But yeah, this is the USS uh, Dauntless. I, I said Dauntless. I meant Dauntless. NCC eight zero eight one six. So it's a newer ship than the Protostar based on the registry number. If that can be trusted, because sometimes registry numbers. Can't be trusted, but I... in the in the interview, the guy said we deliberately picked. We were very careful at picking that registry number so that it would make sense. So we can probably. I do love the him. idea of them, uh, Hollow Janeway and the kids in the Protostar versus real Janeway in the Dauntless. <laughs> some way in some way that happening. Yeah. Do all ships have a hollow Janeway thing now? And is that what's going to get taken over? Is that how the program works? Is it Possibly, but Aaron, evil... Aaron uh, Walkie made it sound like that was something unique to the Protostar. If you read the, the interview at trekmovie.com, he said that Chakotay went back into the Delta Quadrant with a Janeway hologram. So it looked like something like Chakotay specifically chose to do and not every ship. Well, maybe not all of them have Janeway holograms, but do they all have, uh, you know, 
that capability that could then be turned against its crew if you got a hold of you know virus the computer we're gonna see goth janeway return she's gonna be on like all these different starfleet ships taking over yeah that would be kind of neat hey every every generation needs something some new piece of technology to go wrong first transporters (laughs) then holodecks uh, now um holograms need to be (laughs) problems well starfleet boy is is commenting does Janeway have a Chakotay <laughs> hollow? That would be great. I'm sure the, the Janeway Chakotay shippers would like to believe that the two of them keep polygrams of each other when they're <laughs> when they're away, but I, I mean that's it seems like not quite the fulfillment of the shipping goal, but it's close. I guess it's just close enough. The thought I had, I, I mean I just I'm curious as to what form this this virus taking over the ships would do. Would it be evil holograms? Would it be the computer just suddenly starts re- not responding to commands and and spaces the crew? No, it says that it'll turn on each other. So I think it just makes like the ships target other ships and they shoot each other and blow up. Yeah. It does occur to me that we are also getting very close to the synth ban. And that maybe the synth ban had been had a bit of build up with this. Oh yeah, yeah, remember that time when all our our whole fleet almost destroyed the Federation? <laughs> uh, let's see, Children of Mars. I have a start date in my notes saying it's April of twenty three eighty five, April fifth, twenty three eighty. Oh yeah, it was on First Contact Day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's how we. So do it. that so, is okay. that would be fourteen months. So within 14 months, I want to tell Admiral January, like, you need to get everyone off of Mars. Get everyone out of uh, Utopia Planitia. They're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, Father, Father e, the, you have this still frame on and uh, of uh, of the Dauntless and Bridge. Don't think I don't see that Tellarite back there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I got I got news for you about the Tellarite because I think a lot of people forgot there was casting for all of this crew that we see on the bridge. And uh, that Tellarite is going to be voiced by Jason Alexander. What? <laughs> yeah, and That's uh, that that ensign, the the trill ensign. Uh, we we know uh that character's name. She is Asensia or Asensia. I haven't heard it pronounced yet, so I'm unsure. But she is voiced by Tahani from the the Good Place, uh, Jamila oh, wow. Jamil. Look at look at all these voices. And the Andorian. It's it's an all comedy. It's an all comedy crew. <laughs> well, not, the the Andorian is a uh, commander Tysus, and he's played by David Diggs, who is in Hamilton. I think he was Thomas Jefferson in yeah, Lafayette. Yeah, man, that's a that's kind of a big get. So, uh, yeah, you'd think they would have said something. Uh, I guess maybe there was like running time issues. But um, speaking of running time issues, we do need to uh, to wrap up our show. So, are there any final thoughts before we go into the Gorneggs? Nothing for me, actually. I guess the um, we we've learned that the protostar was eventually apparently was created in you know twenty uh, around twenty three eighty three right, or four or because this Janeway is looking for her Chakotay. Another thing for the shippers, yeah. and she's like, "I'm coming for you, Chakotay." But this ship here's bridge looks nothing like the the bridge of the um of the protostar. No, with it the looks blue just holographic. like something else though that I'm about to reveal in the Yeah, I know, but but if this ship is also brand new and a prototype with a new experimental drive, you think they would the bridges would look a little more similar if they're both new brand yeah, new I'm fine with, with diverse. They were built in different shipyards. I'm fine <laughs> with the diversity of I mean the the Defiant bridge doesn't look that much like the Voyager bridge. They were built around the same time. Uh, they look way more like each other than these two bridges do by a huge margin. Oh, yeah, I guess, like, the, the L cars, the displays are, are pretty radically different. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. They are very different, but uh, the Protostar is such yeah. a weird ship. This looks, like, a little bit more conventional. 
Which is really odd given where this ship came from. But... Yeah. Well, let's get into that because that is in our Gornag section. I have a Gornag you might not have spotted. I'll let you know if you don't get it. All right. So. Uh, well, these are all of the Easter eggs, in jokes, and continuity connections I found in the episode that I thought were worth mentioning. I'll just start with Janeway security or the Janeway hologram security protocols being altered by Gwen so that she couldn't have have been converted to to evil goth Janeway by the Diviner. We actually saw something like that used before in Star Trek Voyager in the episode Equinox Part 2, where when the doctor had his, I guess, like ethics subroutine deleted, uh, but Seven of Nine told the Doctor at the end of that episode, like, I'll make sure no one is ever able to turn you evil again. You know, we'll we'll upgrade your security. The next thing that I noticed was the backstory of Solemn and how there were feuding factions on the planet about uh, either allying with the Federation or, or not. That reminded me of that Next Generation episode, Attached, where Crusher and, and Picard are like mentally connected when they're prisoners on a planet. This is kind of the main thing of that episode. But the deal with that that planet is that there was one part of that planet that wasn't part of the world government of the rest of that world. And they were also like, we don't want anything to do with the Federation, while the rest of the planet was trying to join the Federation. And there was a lot of uh, tension and hostility there. Right on. And then the Dauntless itself, the USS Dauntless... So this ship is really weird. Uh, the The origin of it comes from kind of the, the back half is from Rick Sternbach's original con or one of his original concepts that wasn't used for the Voyager and, and Star Trek Voyager. And then kind of the front half of it is from another ship called the Dauntless. It's from the Star Trek Voyager season four finale, Hope and Fear, in which Voyager encounters what seems to be a slipstream Federation ship that has, you know, the super fast technology with, with slipstream tech. Um, and there, and it shows up and it's like, Hey Voyager, here's a fast ship to bring your crew home. But it turns out that was all just a deception by this alien who wanted to kill the, the Voyager crew or send them to the Borg to be assimilated. Cause he hated them. Um, but th- yeah, they, they take like the first half of that ship and the back half of Sternbach's unused concept. And that's what they come up with for the, the USS Dauntless that we see here. Also the, um, the bridge looks, uh, almost identical to the bridge that we see Admiral Janeway and her crew. And so apparently this fake Starfleet ship, uh, Voyager came back to the Alpha Quadrant with the specs of that ship. And they're like, oh, let's try to build that for real. I, yeah, it felt odd that the bridge was so similar because there's not a real purpose to keep the aesthetics yeah. of the bridge. Whereas the outer hull being the same, I was like, well, given how warp dynamics right. work and if they use some weird warp dynamics, the, the form usually follows function. So this that might be the form you need if you're going to follow these blueprints. But I really like that bridge. It always makes me sad when I watch that episode that it's like a fake Starfleet <laughs> ship. because like, oh, I kind of like the design of the bridge on there. I kind of wish that was a real Starfleet ship. And now it is in Prodigy. Yes, so. yes. There, you are not the only fan. I have heard numerous Trek fans over the years say, I wish that was a real Starfleet yeah, ship so because it only it took was 24 so cool. years or so, but here it is. So, um, yeah, <laughs> kid fathery, uh, your patience has paid off yet again. <laughs> I've heard of numerous GMs who just outright did what they did in this episode and say, well, Janeway brought home the specs and they mm. built one because that's what I want my crew in in my game. Damn it. <laughs> so that's what they did. Brian, you said that you, you had a, a Gornag you thought I might have missed. Was it anything to do with the uh, the, the Dauntless? 
Nope. Okay. And uh, another thing about the crew, as I just mentioned, all those actors, that casting was announced uh, before the the show had even premiered last year. Just wanted to remind everyone, we'll probably get to actually hear those characters in the second half of the season and get to know them a little bit. I expect them to show up a lot. And I want to talk about the uniforms they're wearing. It was very reminiscent of the future uniform first introduced in the Next Generation episode, All Good Things. We see it again in The Visitor on Deep Space Nine. And then in the Voyager series finale, Endgame, you see Admiral Janeway. So it looks pretty similar to that, uh, except it kind of has the a black TNG bar across the top. So I felt like they kind of combined the All Good Things uniform with the Lower Decks uniform. It's actually one of my favorite Starfleet uniforms. Uh, I And the com badge. We have the com badge. I like that the pants don't come up to the rib cage. Yeah, anymore. and th- that was to make help the the actors look older because those are all episodes where they were aging people up. It you know having having your your <laughs> pants up around your nipples kind of makes you look older. Uh, but yeah, they they were able to avoid that. Come up with a uniform that makes us all old, oh, oh Starfleet designer. Okay, I'll make the whole fleet look old. <laughs> Two of my favorite uniforms is the is the All Good Things uniform and the Lower Decks uniform. But the Lower Decks, I don't like the the com badge. I actually love the All Good Things com badge, but I don't like that they have their their pants hiked up so so high in those. So here we remedy both those things. I just don't like like that blue stripe on the uh, outer edge of the wraparound flap like Janeway has a gold stripe because she's an admiral but everyone else there's like this blue stripe that kind of throws me oh, off a I little thought bit it was but... white but I guess maybe it is you know, it's like blue. a very light blue but every uniform has one little detail that irks me so this is actually pretty good and, and I could see this becoming my favorite uniform if I see more of it Cerulean Blue uh, had an interesting note uh, that uh, somebody on Twitter had mentioned that the four visible crew members of her uh, on there Vulcan, Tellarite, Andorian, and Human are the founding Federation members uh yeah, but there's also a trail thrown in for good measure. Oh yeah, there is. There's a uh, the ensign <laughs> that's played by uh Jamili Jamil. Um, but yeah, those are all the Gorneggs I had. So Brian, what was the what was the one that you spotted? They have a scene. You see the the little Katishan Cation Cation hiding and and Zero coming up. Come on, come on, come on out. We gotta go. And then behind the uh, behind Zero, you see one of those big insect robots with the big spiky tail coming up. That's right out of Alien, where one of the crew members is trying find is want looking for the alien in a cargo bay, finds Jonesy. And oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. Jonesy, come on, Jonesy, and Jonesy's uh, like starts to come out and then backs up and hisses. Yeah, because there's this alien dropping down behind the guy. I'm like, that is absolutely the shot. They do homage a bunch sequence. of stuff like that. Like like there there's yeah. some strong uh, Ark of the Covenant vibes in this episode as well. So. Yeah, they they definitely pull from some some really good uh, pop culture. I think that's uh, everything on Gorn Eggs. I do have some subspace transmissions. We like to share audience feedback. So if you have any thoughts on this episode, let us know. You can reply to me on Twitter, comment on the Text Trek Facebook page, or drop me an email, and we might share your thoughts next week. But we're going to talk about last week's episode, uh, A Moral Star Part 1. This is what some of our friends and audience members had to say about it uh rachel who has appeared on text trek before said it was so good love seeing the real come together yeah it's like a big uh popular thing is seeing this cast learn to be a crew and learn to work together uh starfleet boy who is our chief engineer here helping us out on the stream uh, for those checking us out live but he said 
Lots of touching moments and a nice build-up to what is no doubt going to be a satisfying conclusion. I really love this show. This is a very special addition to the Star Trek universe and a wonderful way to discover Trek. On Twitter, Mario the Trek Dude said, This show has won me over. Can enjoy it for its own creativeness. That ship is fire. The crew have a chemistry similar to the great live-action Treks. The quality of stories seem to be hitting a stride. Time amok, now this, good stuff. And Anna Rose on Twitter said, Loved it. We really saw these characters learn and grow, and I do feel like they are all a prodigy in their own special ways. Anna, you were one episode off of Hollow Janeway actually articulating that and saying almost the same thing verbatim. <laughs> um, Anna goes on to say, can't wait to see how they get uh, out of their current situation and hopefully some answers to the Diviner's motives. Yeah, we get both of that. So we see yeah. them get out of their predicament and uh, learn the Diviner's motives. For sure, I want to hear what uh, Anna thinks about the uh, that, that final episode. Yeah, let, let us know about the follow-up episode. And then on YouTube, Opinions No One Cares About said, I like Dal saying, go fast. It seemed like something a kid would come up with, and he made it work. Personally, I'd go with pedal to the metal, despite the fact that there's no pedal involved on a certain So that would be Opinions No One Cares About. That would be his engage, or hit it, or go fast or warp me, or uh, let's fly. Speaking of let's fly, uh, what are we talking about next week, Dave? What show is coming back from hiatus? Uh, I'm going to guess Discovery. Yes, so Star Trek Discovery Season 4 returns next week. We will be here live at 7 p.m. Friday to discuss it. And until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.